This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low, or Instagram at Nearside Low underscore podcast. And here we are, Nearside Low Podcast season. I don't know, episode probably seven. Ray, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, good to see you, Coach. All right. Anyhow, we had a pretty wild past weekend, as we always like to do with our uh, uh, podcast. We always like to jump off with the uh, previous question of the week, which we actually already discussed. But the venue, all right, that we decided we wanted to host the championship was at MICDS. And guess what, Ray? The championship was held at MICDS. And I was poolside. And I think I saw you poolside. What did you think, Ray? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely worked out well. I, I, I know uh, very appreciative to uh, Don Casey over at MICS helping to organize Connie Daskow over there uh, as well. But I thought I thought the venue worked out worked out well. I know that's something over the last couple of years we've we've entertained the option of going to MICDS over using the Recplex, um, and and for this year it it worked out great. I mean, I. I personally like the. I, I feel I feel like there's something about going to the Recplex and playing there, just with the the history of uh, having it out there. But um, I I thought this game game worked out really well. Totally, and and I mean I'll I'll kind of chime in. Yeah, there is definitely a history to the Recplex. Um, and I know it's just it's a swimming pool, but it's also we've been using it since you know I, I couldn't remember. I guess when it was built. Uh, probably we could fit more fans at the Recplex. But then you got a bunch of locals walking around using the water slides and, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, a, another day at the water park. So um, and then we always, you know, Recplex costs a little bit more money. So um, now not that MICDS wasn't pretty rocking on Saturday, but you kind of wonder if COVID was not around, how packed could we have really gotten that place? How rocking could it have been? So um, so that'll be interesting. And I guess that'll be something that that all the uh, the coaches will have to make a decision about next year um, when we kind of hopefully go back to a little bit of normalcy. But I would agree with you. Big thanks to, um, I know Kirkwood hosted a bunch of games. John Burroughs, beautiful facility, hosted a bunch of games. And then obviously MICDS at the end of the season was able to host a couple games for us. So, um, so pretty exciting. And, you know, we'll see if that continues on into next year. Um, but let's jump into uh, the championships. We had a JV championship. We had a girls championship. We had a boys varsity championship. We had a lot of games that were uh, pretty darn exciting. So um, I know, Ray, uh, I was at the JV championship game um, helping out my uh, my assistant extraordinaire, Mr. Welch. Um, and uh, they ended up Parkway West played SLU, um, lost in overtime, seven to six. And as I texted you that night, it was a barn burner. Um, and uh, again, it was a pretty exciting game, um, you know, back and forth. You know, West would score, Slew would score, Slew would score, West would score, as evidenced by the the the, uh, the overtime game. So um, all in all, it was a great game um, and it was fun to see, um, you know, and I don't have the JV third place game in front of me, but Lindbergh and Kirkwood, I'm pretty sure Lindbergh won on, in the last second again, that those Four teams, I mean, in, in all honesty, even if you went to the sixth or seventh team that weren't in the Final Four, I mean, on any given day, I mean, all those games were so close, anybody could have won the title. You know what I mean? Anybody could have been in the Final Four. Um, and that's pretty exciting to see as, you know, Ray, we like competitive games, and I think it bodes well for the future. What do you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember seeing a tweet last week from uh, Coach Grant Gomer over at Lindbergh, I think after he had lost the game, talking about how even though they had lost, he was so happy with their with their effort, and it was such a fun game to coach. Um, I, I, I mean, the JV championship seemed like there were all sorts of close games. I mean, just looking at this, the varsity championships, which we're going to talk about here in a sec, uh, I mean, I think we got just about as good of a championship uh, weekend as we could have hoped for as far as close games. I didn't necessarily think these games were going to be uh, as close as they were, and they ended up, uh, I mean, particularly the boys' varsity coming down to the last minute. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a great, great weekend. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, so then uh, after the JV championship, we moved into uh, the third place game, which took place at uh, MICDS early on Saturday afternoon, and that was a matchup between SLU and Parkway Central. And um, Ray, I only kind of caught the tail end of that. Um, I'm sure you have a little bit more insight into that. So why don't you uh, why don't you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, so SLU uh, won the third place game nine to four. Uh, it was SLU's third time playing Central this year, and um, I always think beating uh, beating a good team three times is very difficult to do. And SLU SLU was able to do it. They played a they played a very very nice game. Uh, I, I think they played just about as technically um, sound as they as they wanted to. Uh, a few other observations I made from that game from, from the Parkway Central side side of things. Uh, I think Alex Napawan uh, did a nice finish too. To his career, but I, I was very impressed with Ian Conway in goal, a freshman over at Parkway Central. Um, he played very well for Central, not only on on Saturday but also on Thursday. Freshman, right? Yeah, freshman. Yeah. yeah, that'll be that'll be uh, that'll be fun to watch at Parkway Central the, the next couple of years. Um, but I also thought Ben Gelmacher over at Slu High played played well in the cage as well. It was it was fun to see some some good goaltending. Um, and uh, I mean, the third place game sometimes. Uh, I mean, you're not playing in the championships, so sometimes. Uh, people don't show up to play, but I, I mean, I thought it was a good game and it was, uh, it was nice to see, see both those teams competing. Okay. All right. Um, and then obviously right after that game, we had our first ever girls championship and, uh, Marquette ended up, uh, on top 18 to 11. Um, Ray, we were poolside. We kind of watched that together for quite a bit. Um, and I was going to say, um, I felt like in the first, uh, first quarter, second quarter. I mean, Oakville had a pretty good game plan, and uh, the game was definitely um, was definitely close. And then there was, you know, something kind of flipped at one point, and kind of Marquette got a couple quick ones, and then then they kind of pulled away. So, I mean, kudos to Oakville for knowing kind of what they needed to do to try and stay in that game. Um, and overall, Ray, I mean, I was impressed. I had not seen a girls' game all year. Um, we've got some talented girls in St. Louis, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was I thought the level of play was was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, why don't you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, so uh, first of all, first uh, ever girls championship was fun. USA Water Polo was tweeting out uh, a lot about it. So that was fun to see. Um, and as you touched on, I mean, it was a close game early. I was I thought both coaches, both uh, Scott Summers over at Marquette um, and uh, Brett Walters over at Oakville, both did a great job with their respective teams. Uh, Marquette was just a little bit stronger. Uh, Grace Brisky and Ivy Williams, uh, two seniors, combined for 10 goals on the Marquette side, um, which definitely powered them. Uh, but Jenna Wolf over for Oakville had eight goals herself, um, and uh, she'll be she'll be returning next year. So I know um, after that game was over, I know Coach uh, Coach Walters was, um, I mean, basically pumping up his team that uh, the next year starts now. So um, hopefully this is just the start of continued growth of Rose water polo in Missouri. And uh, there were a good number, good number of fans in the stands for that game as well. I saw some of Marquette's boys team in the stands. So 
uh, I mean, yeah, that'll be fun, fun to watch, continue to grow. Well, and I, you know, you mentioned uh, Grace Brisky there, and I kind of want to jump on it. We didn't do water polo in the news, but um, she was nominated for an as an athlete of the week uh, this past week. Um, obviously, there was a great write up uh, about the Marquette victory. Um, our good friend John O'Sullivan had a little uh, little piece on Channel Four News about Marquette winning. Um, and that'll kind of coincide with the boys championship. Alex Sire was uh, also an athlete of the week to kind of piggyback off of Grace Brisky. Uh, Greg Uptain obviously wrote an article about that. There were photos and the boys championship was also mentioned uh, by Channel 4 too. So a lot of water polo in the news as of late, which was, uh, which was pretty exciting. So then let's jump into uh, the game at seven o'clock. And uh, Ray, I know you sat poolside for that one. Um, and, uh, and I was there, so I'm going to let you chat about this cause I don't have much to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, first of all, congratulations on uh, third state championship, uh, Parkway West took the victory 11 to 10 over Kirkwood and, uh, a game that I think was a little bit closer than, um, some of us may have expected based on, uh, based on previous meetings. Uh, I would, I mean, I was very impressed with Kirkwood. Uh, Tanner Woodson, we've talked about previously, but uh, he had six goals of Kirkwood's 10. Um, and as I watched that game, it brought back memories of, of Mark Zalewski when, when I played uh, the uh, former lefty for Kirkwood, who um, I, I still remember my junior year at times we had triple team him in the pool and uh, he would still get off a uh, decent shot. And uh, Tanner was doing the same thing uh, in this game. But uh, it wasn't just Tanner. I thought uh, Kirkwood is a whole... Uh, brought a uh, brought a very strong game. West uh, has been the predominant favorite all year long, and when they needed goals, uh, Will Bonnet stepped up. McKay Morgan played a played a very very nice game. Alex Sired a couple nice uh, nice uh, moves that I think uh, resulted in penalties. So um, overall, I mean, as I said, it came down to the last last minute with 11 to 10 game. I want to throw out a sh- shout out to. Uh, Coach Rob Pegler over at Kirkwood. I mean, this is Kirkwood's first time in the Final Four, first time in the final, um, and very respectable effort. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things exciting to look forward to in that program. And uh, yeah, we, we talked about close water polo, and that that was uh, that was a, that was a fun game, fun game to watch. Uh, poolside. And it was a semi-fun game to coach, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyhow, anyhow. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess kudos to Coach Casey. Um, as we mentioned here, we had him on the other week kind of making his predictions on stuff and what he thought was going to happen, and he was relatively uh, he was relatively accurate. So uh, the man knows what he's talking about. Crazy. Um, so, I mean, all in all, Ray, you know, you mentioned here, we can talk about the future here, but you, you have a little highlight here, reflections on the season with challenges. And I would agree, um, and if you read the STL Day article, you know, and I told the boys before the game, I said, be thankful we're here. I said, number one, be thankful that we're able to play on this Saturday night and that there's, you know, 20 or there's 19 other teams that would like to be here in our position. And then I said, be thankful that we we got to actually play. I said, you know, for all the the negatives of, oh, we got to wear a mask and we don't get to go to Chicago and we don't get to do this. And, and not that anyone ever complained about it, but, but in my mind, to think about all the things that were kind of like, uh, this is not how we should be doing things or how we want to do things. You know, I said, reflect on that group from last year that got to do nothing. Um, and I said, so I, you know, that was my, my big takeaway to them is like, whether we win or lose on Saturday, I said, be thankful that we are here and that we didn't get derailed and that everybody got to play and 
you know, I said, that's, that's, that's a big takeaway. And so um, I think they definitely took that to heart. And obviously winning was a big cap off to that, but um, I'm just thankful we had something because as I mentioned, I, you know, I felt like in the fall rolling into cross country season, I wasn't even sure if we we're going to have anything, you know, it was very touch and go. Um, and I, you know, in the middle of winter, things were getting worse and, you know, I was kind of like, are we even going to have a polo season? So super thankful about that. Yeah. And I, I, I was as well. So happy to be there that we're playing in that, uh, second or third weekend of May, uh, a championship game. I mean, I, I think there's hopefully some things we can learn from this season. I mean, I'd love to see some, uh, some games being video streamed more often next year. Um, but, uh, and, and the other thing was, I, I think with COVID, we were unsure what we were going to see, but fortunately there was very low rates of any problems here in the St. Louis area. And I think there's, um, some things to learn based on, based on what we saw, but, uh, so, so happy we had a water polo season, especially thankful to um, the ADs, uh, Brian Kessler over at, uh, in the Parkway School District, Chris Muskoff at uh, Slough High have been two of the ADs that um, were really uh, helping with polo, but also from Steve Adcock and all the officials, all the coaches, uh, people that do things differently this year to make it work. And uh, I, those, those efforts are definitely recognized for definitely, uh, being definitely. able to get there. We, yeah. We appreciate it. It's awesome. All right. Um, so kind of looking into the future, uh, Ray, I know you said you checked out my water polo. We'll have to kind of get those posted, but they did come out with the all conference teams. Um, we had our, we had our, uh, all three boys conferences and then we actually added a third. Um, I think we called it the yellow conference and that was the, the girls all conference team. Um, and from that, there was a first team, a second team and a third team. And then there was a conference player of the year and then a conference coach of the year. Um, and those, a lot of, a lot of coaches were tweeting those out, like congratulations to so-and-so, um, and so-and-so. So, um, there is a PDF floating around, Ray, obviously I sent that to you. Um, and that's something we probably just need to get posted on Mo water polo so that everybody can kind of check that out, but they have officially been released conference wise. Um, so everybody should have an idea of, of, of who did what, and then, and I'll let you touch on that. And then from that though, all right. And we have not done the voting yet, but from those, from those lists, we will be working on the all district teams and then the end of the year kind of player of the year award. So player of the year, defensive player of the year, offensive player of the year, overall coach of the year. Um, and those teams are obviously voted on from the conference teams. So um, the original thought was since there wasn't going to be an all-star game, but Ray, you're going to let us know that there is going to be an all-star game. Since there originally wasn't going to be an all-star game, I don't think there was a hurry to get the all-district teams out because we weren't worried about, you know, having an award ceremony, so on and so forth. So um, I'm not sure the timeline for that. You know, it's it's May 20th, so hopefully I pump this out, you know, tomorrow or the next day. Um, but I, I have not received any ballots for all-district yet. So that's something kind of, you know, probably in a week or so for us to kind of uh, keep on our horizon. Yeah. So, and I, real quickly, I'll just name our players of the year and, and coaches of the year. Uh, Will Bonnet from Parkway West uh, is a junior um, who got blue conference player of the year. Dylan Vorbeck, red. Xander Kerber. Should be red. Uh, red. Yes, I can't read. Uh, red. Right. Um, He's Dylan a doctor, and, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dylan Vorbeck and Xander Kerber uh, both got uh, first team in the white conference. And then uh, Zach Swain in from Rockwood Summit at the Blue Conference. And Grace Brisky was unanimous selection for uh, player of the year of the females. So um, 
all, all well-deserved. I mean, there's some, some juniors in that group, which will uh, make for uh, excite, excitement seeing them continue to grow next year. And then as far as coaches, uh, we've already touched about Rob Pegler over at Kirkwood. Did a great job there this year. Nikki Barella over at CBC. Justin Stafford at Chaminade. Brett Walters, who we've had on um, at Oakville, did a great job this year. And then uh, Claire Maniscalco was uh, picked over at Marquette also with uh, um, some help from Scott Summers. So go online, check those out. But uh, some some underclassmen noted here, uh, which, uh, as we said, is good for this summer and next year. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, and then, Ray, you want to touch on the All-Star game? Yeah, so uh, initially we were uncertain we were going to be, have an All-Star game this year, uh, but Rob Pegler over at Kirkwood um, has been working to make that happen. So there is going to be a senior All-Star game this year. It's going to be Tuesday, May 25th over at Kirkwood, uh, 4 p.m. boys game, 5 p.m. girls game. I think we're still waiting to find out who is going to be on those rosters and what's going to be going on with that, but um, just keep that uh, on the lookout. will be happening this year. Um, and just so you guys know, we've got super awesome interview set up after this um, with two wonderful individuals. Ray, since you basically got all that set up as you usually do, you want to you want to introduce them? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've got uh, Janai Kerr, who uh, most of you know, and then Felix Mercado, um, who's the Brown University coach. Uh, both of them are going to be coming to St. Louis uh, June 5th and 6th for a clinic here at MICDS. We're hoping a lot of the athletes listening to this will be in attendance. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to grow um, and learn more about water definitely, flow. Soon. Definitely. So, yep. yeah. So, check that out. We talked to him for about 30 minutes about everything. It was a pretty good interview. So, I'm super excited for you guys to hear that. All right. Uh, well, Ray, I think that's about all I got. You got anything you want to add? I do not. All right, folks. This is the Nearside Low Podcast. We are signing off. And here we are, Near Side Low Podcast. Could be the last episode of the season, right? I don't know, but we have got some special guests on today. Um, we've, we've had the first one on before. Full disclosure, we flubbed the original interview, and it never recorded, and so we had to re-interview this individual. So we are so thankful he is willing to uh, join us again, uh, and that is Olympian and USA uh, water polo member Janai Kerr. Coach Kerr, welcome. Thank you for the, I guess, official third time. Second yes, <laughs> third time. Exactly. Um, welcome. And then uh, hailing from the East Coast, uh, the head coach at Brown University, uh, Coach Felix Mercados. Coach, welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm actually pretty fired up for this. Uh, I've listened to uh, at least three or four of the podcasts, and I'm a big fan. Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Bray, good to see you again, man. Likewise, Coach. Glad to, glad to be back here. So right. um, as we like to start off with our uh, interviews, I uh, would like you to tell us a little bit about yourselves. I know, Janai, we've talked before, but uh, if you could just start us off, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself for our audience. Obviously, my name is Janai Kerr, but long before I was a water polo Olympian, I was just like everybody up growing, being active and you know trying to figure my path. I always knew I wanted to be an athlete and a teacher actually at the time. So being able to become an actual coach and Olympian was just, you know, the, the icing on top. I didn't have the traditional path. It took me a while to kind of develop into my water polo skills. So I only had one full year of water polo experience in high school. And so all of my development was in college at UC Irvine under Ted Newland. And then with national team coaches, you know, starting with 
John Vargas and then actual Olympic coach. Um, so I almost said Dayon for some reason. Uh, Ratko Rudich. I uh, did have the pleasure of working with Dayon Udokovic, the current men's Olympic coach, um, when he initially first came to coach the, the U.S. team most recently. Okay. And, I mean, most people in St. Louis know you from coming to your five-meter camps, which you've been coming to here for the last couple of years. And as you talked about, played at uh, UC Irvine with our uh, our uh, favorite Kevin Kevin Kerber. So, um, Janai, thanks again for coming on. Uh, Felix, we'll, we'll hand it over to you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself for our audience? Yes. Uh, um, as you uh, mentioned earlier, I'm the head coach at Brown University. I coach both the men and the women. Um, I actually started uh, my coaching career at a very, very early age. I wasn't a very good player. Maybe 20 years ago, I would have told you a little bit differently. But the more, uh, more I'm around such uh, elite athletes, the more I see how special it, it um, how special it is to be an elite athlete. I'm just fortunate to be able to coach a lot of elite athletes. Um, but I'm from Miami, Florida. Coached at uh, Ransom Everglades High School for 11, almost 12 years before uh, heading up to MIT where um, I worked with um, a, a good friend of both Janai and, and myself, Omar Armour. Um, he, was, uh, he was a medical uh, student at Harvard and the head coach at MIT, and he convinced me to move up north to, to be his assistant. And then I became the head coach at MIT before I was fortunate enough to, to land at Brown University, and I've been there for 14 years. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, what's been dominating the news for the past year has been COVID. Um, and I know in St. Louis, we had to pivot. We lost our whole high school water polo season last year. Um, and this year, luckily, we did have a season. It was definitely modified. So, you know, obviously, Felix, you're at the college level. And Janai, you're working for USA Water Polo. What, uh, what has been your experience the past year? Have you guys had to pivot and do things differently? Is it business as usual? Talk to us about that. I think far from traditional usual, um, anybody that knows me, anybody knows my coaching style, it's always been fluid. So I think I adapted very well rather than even use the word pivot. You know, I just, I go with certain things. I move around certain ways, you know, zoom obviously came into play for the entire globe. And I was able to jump on that train early and reach out to a lot of different zones, kind of help keep them motivated, give some, um, non pool workouts and, I think since then, as people have actually started utilizing some of the resources they've had in the past from video and, um, you know, YouTube, you know, watching some high-level games, even though we haven't been playing as much here in the United States, a majority of our men's side of Olympic athletes have been playing professionally in Europe. And so watching those games and breaking down films and really teaching, I think, some of the younger athletes, especially the high school level, of what to expect, you know, as they progress to the university and the club teams has been a useful tool. So fluid is my key term. Fluid. I like that. All right, good. Felix, what do you got? Yeah, I'm, I've, I've been a little bit more of in the trenches as far as, uh, you know, not only first we'll talk about the, what happened at the collegiate level, you know, with the men's team, with the men's season somewhat first getting canceled and then postponed and they were able to play a modified um, men's season in January, um, I'm, you know, Brown University is in the Ivy League. We actually um, didn't play any um, sports this year. The Ivy League basically for um, just basically canceled all sports, all seasons. Um, but because I'm the president of the Coach Association, I was actually heavily involved with trying to make sure that um, whatever teams were able to play 
had those opportunities working, you know, um, John Abdu, who's obviously um, the high performance director of USA Water Polo. He's also the executive director of the Coaches Association. And him and I were, were, were doing a lot of back and forth, trying to make sure that, at least on the NCAA level, um, that if there were teams that were that were in position to play, that they had the opportunity and that championships were held. And, you know, and, and again, we were able to get a somewhat of a, uh, a men's season in with, you know, a, we limped with, I, I think, uh, what, 20 teams limped to the finish line. And on the women's side, for the most part, um, uh, the, it's uh, while well, some teams obviously set out, they were able to, to finish a complete season. Um, you know, on the recruiting end, that was, you know, you know, St. Louis with talking about high school, I think that had a big impact. COVID not being able to see a lot of recruits, we had to sign and, you know, get kids to commit and, and apply to our schools without actually hoping that the year that they missed of playing wasn't affecting them too much. So we we were up to the challenge. I think most all the college coaches, they kind of worked with recruits. The recruits did a good job. High school coaches did a good job. I think we all kind of banded together um you know we didn't have the pity parties we kind of said all right what can we do let's do it um and uh you know i think for the most part you know every school um is bringing in a pretty solid class kids are kids are getting the opportunity to play as freshmen um and a lot of those seniors especially on the men's side that didn't get a chance to play in the fall got to get it got an extra year at the red shirt um and and are hopefully able to to get a senior year in if there were seniors last year Challenging, but we got through so, it. Yeah, and, w- and one thing I, I want to get your thoughts on it at the high school level. We were we were very concerned this year about having missed a year last year and potentially not uh, not getting to play this spring. How that would affect the game, just because there were a number of athletes who hadn't gotten experience playing before and just a year of development um, out. Do you see at the college level any? Any lingering impact? I mean, it's probably uh, mitigated a little bit by you guys being able to get in the season. But uh, do you feel like um, there's going to be any changes or impact at the college level based on um, having to modify seasons this year? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think our, the athletes are are, um, are focused enough that whatever they missed out, whoever missed out, or whatever shortened season. You know, as long as they, they stay healthy, I think they'll be fine. I think the biggest challenge is that, you know, has COVID hit, we also were implementing these new rules. You know, the, the collegiate um, side of the, the rules, they kind of adopted a lot of the the FINA rules, the six meter, you know, putting the ball in play, um, the live corner throw, um, you know, the goalie playing past half tank. And there's a lot of, a lot of teams that didn't get a chance to practice or even play in those types of of, of games while others did. So I, I think that might have a, a more of an impact on the teams that got a chance to play and the ones that didn't with the new rules. Um, but, uh, but other than that, I think, I think having a good summer and it looks like, you know, our country's opening up for the summer that athletes, the student athletes are going to be able to get back and, and, um, and at least physically be ready to go while mentally they might have some, some lingering effects because of lack of, you know, like our women, will go almost almost uh, a year, almost, I would say almost like a year, over a year and a half of never playing, having played a game. We're going to have, on our campus, we're going to have 15 athletes that, you know, almost more than half our team that never played a game at Brown, you know, and, and haven't played a game for Brown. So that's that'll have an impact on them mentally, but I think physically I think they'll be fine. 
All right. So, uh, Felix, you mentioned you coached at Ransom Everglades at high school level before you took the position at MIT, and then you obviously are currently at Brown. Um, talk to us about the transition from high school to college. Um, and Janai, chime in if you want here. Like, is there hope for Ray and I, high school coaches? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, what's the? I mean, is there is there a? I don't know. Is there a theme of coaching in general? Are you coaching very similar to the way you did at Ransom Everglades, as far as what you're teaching the kids, or are you doing super high level stuff? And you know, same with Janai. You know, Janai, you're working with coaches at all levels. Um, from the co- collegiate, national, all the way down to high school, probably middle school, splash ball style stuff. Like, like, what do we, what, what do Ray and I need to do to make it to the big leagues? So, it, a funny story about um, Janai, and a lot of people might not know this because it wasn't. He was there for like almost two years, but Janai, I actually brought in Janai to Brown to be my assistant coach um, because, you know, as much as I guess, so one, I don't to answer your question. I pretty much think that I, I'm coaching the same, but obviously you evolve. You evolve with right. the level of of, of, um, of the speed of the game and stuff. I I don't think you know I'm a I'm a big I'm I'm, I'm big on fundamentals. I'm not going to, you know, I don't have a a 300 page playbook. Um, but a lot of my um, my coaching mentoring or the, the my coaching um, philosophies came from someone who had an impact on Janai Omar going back to Omar Armour, you know, cause he, uh, he brought me up to, to MIT to coach with him. And he kind of was like, focus on the fundamentals. That's the most important thing. And he hammered that into me. And I think while I've evolved in many ways, tactically, it, it still goes back to the fundamentals part of it. I think, um, you know, being hungry, going out there, never really being satisfied with thinking that you are the best coach and that you know it all wanting to always know more. I think, COVID allowed me to grow as a coach because I was able to talk to other coaches and, and get involved, like Janai said, on a lot of Zoom things. But um, Janai was, had a big impact. And actually, Janai probably had the biggest impact on our Brown team. And I tell this to my athletes right now because when I brought Janai in, I felt like our teams um, lacked uh, – it was inconsistent. Our culture was very inconsistent. So I needed someone to come in that lived it, that basically lived and, and breathed water polo and saw how, that if you want to be great at it, you got to put the work in. You can't be a part-time player. So Janai came in and just said, hey, coach, um, let me let me, let me me be the bad guy. Let me be the one that, that kind of lays the hammer down sometimes, and, and I'll get these these uh, both my men and my women to, to buy into the culture that you're looking for. And Janai – Again, I, to this day, the, what Janai did for our program, um, it's it's still it's still there, and I talk about it, the impact that he had. So Janai, did you tactics. did you drop the hammer? <laughs> no, it was easy to lead by example, right? Because I'd come from Racker Ridge when we're training nine half ten hours a day. So water right. polo, you know, I was the first one in the weight room. I was doing individual workouts with athletes, attempting to do swim sets. Absolutely crushing the leg sets. <laughs> but at the same time, I was literally just sitting in on Ivy League classes. You know, these are student athletes that are also focusing on their professional careers post-grad. So they were able to accomplish a lot in a short amount of time, in my opinion. I thought it was going to be a four-year process. People said, four years? That's so long. But, you know, you're used to coming from Olympic cycle. You're used to starting, you know, brand new, even high school programs from scratch. It takes a minute to establish that culture and once Felix kind of empowered some of his athletes to take the lead play within the freedom of their structure you know the program's obviously flourished um I will say though for you guys that coaching at the higher levels becomes easier and easier um because 
the student athletes, I think, are that much more focused, right? The fundamentals don't change, but if they're coming, the higher levels you coach, the better those fun, the better the athletes are at those fundamentals, and then it becomes, you know, you know, Phil Knight style, um, where you're just really kind of focusing on personnel and Adam Kikorian. Let's put it this way: he's a phenomenal coach, right? On the women's side, and it's for my opinion. It's not because of his water polo knowledge. It's because of the way he's able to keep the best athletes in the entire world as a team unit, right? When you have 30 of the top athletes in the entire country, his hardest job is to figure out who he's going to actually take on a travel roster and how he's going to keep those practices at high-level intensity with everybody keep staying happy. So the collegiate level is still the same because you have, you know, the high school All-Americans, the ODP, you know, um, you know, zone, zone candidates, you have junior national team level athletes coming to your program, you know, to pursue their education and how you're able to plug each one of those different personnels together and keep a cohesive unit is a skill in itself. So that's the focus goes, I think, less from water polo, more to personal relationships. And I want to I want to ask a little bit about how uh, Felix that's that's happened at Brown. I, I mean, I think traditionally in this country, people have always thought of California as being the the hotbed for water polo, where the best college teams are. But it, particularly in the last in the last few years, we've really seen uh, some of the northeastern teams, particularly like Brown, competing with the best college teams in the country and being among the best college teams in the country. Um, how, 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 how have you been? I know it's Felix's program, um, yeah. but I just want to jump in on that because yeah. when I was there, that was not our focus. Our focus yeah. was not California. Our focus was not the other IVs. Our focus was not Naval Academy, other top programs. Our focus was ourselves. Yeah. And I, that was the when they bought into that of every single day, this practice is going to be the best training, the best competition. They're going to get anywhere in the country. That's when the entire level play. It didn't matter who we are playing. You know, our objective was to keep goals, you know, scored one one per quarter with, you know, occasional two points, but teams under six. And that was it. You know, stick to our folk structured offense. And if it scores more than six. Yeah. We're pretty- <laughs> yeah and, and so can I hit can I hit on a on some. Yeah. Can I hit on a lot of important parts? Because as much as I think ultimately it's it's the being able to draw high level talent, I think. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I've, obviously I'm, I'm not here to, I'm, I think Brown's the best program on the East coast, but it'd be foolish of me not to plug in, um, other very successful teams like, like Harvard, you know, obviously they, they had, they've the last four or five years, they've had a great run where they took down Cal, you know, I, you know, that's, that was, a you know, regardless if, uh, of, of anyone can say whatever they want, that was beating a, a Pac-12 team, being an Ivy League school, beating a Pac-12 team. That's really impressive. Um, we've had teams like Bucknell um, in St. Francis, Brooklyn, go toe-to-toe with SC at, NCAA, at the NCAA level. Um, we've had, you know, the Naval Academy, you know, back a couple years ago, and I think they're, they're heading back in that area because they're getting, we're getting better players and not just focused on, on California. We're getting better players from all over because I do think while, you know, a lot of people might have some a negative view of the, the the ODP, the Olympic Development 
program. I think if there's if there's one thing that's allowing the ODP program is allowing is more more access to to other coaches and athletes are getting better because they're getting exposed and they're ch- they're playing against other teams, other players from different regions more consistently. So it's improving their level. So now these it's not just a, a well yes California is where the the hotbed of water polo and you can't deny it because that's where the majority of the programs are but other places are are growing you know missouri ohio michigan um illinois texas florida pennsylvania even the new england area um with greenwich so it's it's well california is still the reason why um the level of, of water polo is increasing in our country is because more areas are being exposed to what's out there, you know, and they're, they're getting out there and it's making it easier to bring in players. I've, you know, bringing in athletes, um, from, from the Midwest isn't like, Oh, they're never going to play. No, it's like, Hey, you're good enough to help us as a freshman because you've been doing ODP for the last four years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was actually something I wanted to ask you about. So, I mean, looking at the Brown roster, you've got athletes from Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Florida, Oregon, New York, uh, our, our friend Philip Alexic, uh, former player of the year from Missouri, is also on your roster. I mean, if, if you're an athlete in, in Missouri or elsewhere, I mean, what's the key to um, being able to, to play college at the next level and get at least looks from, from coaches like you and elsewhere? Yeah, I think you got to play and you got to be seen. I mean, as much as, you know, I, I think there's, there's, you have to film yourself. You have to, you know, get out there and you got to be proactive. I think the day of, you know, I think we want, you know, we get caught up in this, like, you're going to sit by the phone, I mean, now by the, your email, but by the phone, waiting. you know, we see that from football and basketball, you know, water polo is not going to be like that. I think you got to be proactive. I think that you got to go to camps. I mean, I think the one thing that Janai has been doing and, you know, I, every time Janai goes to a camp in a different area, because that's obviously he does a good job of, of spreading water polo across the country and the world. You know, I always try to, to, to get anyone in that area to go ha- and, and have Janai coach them so they can, so Janai can come back and be like, yeah, this player has this skill level that's really high and, and might need some more work on their conditioning or their, their, their passing and shooting. So I'm able to, whether they're coming to a camp that I'm at or they're going to a camp that Janai's that, but they're being, they're, they're being exposed to, to, they're putting themselves out there so that we can see them. You know, I think that's key. And you know, jails is a great tournament, and but there's 70 pools going at the same time, and we only have one coach trying to get to all these pools. So the if you're relying on Junior Olympics to be the one time you hope a college coach sees you, you're you're probably not going to get that that because that one game that you have that you score the winning goal might be in the gold division, right, of the, you know, the fifth place game. That's just as important, but the coach isn't going to be there, might not be there, or, you know, they're, they're get, they get there late after you drew four exclusions and you're getting ready and you scored three goals. And so you have to make efforts, not just one or two, but, you know, setting highlights, setting a resume, you know, communicating with coaches, that stuff's important. But being seen is by far, um, uh, I think that the, the most important thing, and now it's it's more accessible than before because of camps, because of um, being able to film and putting it up on YouTube or Huddle and and just doing that. This right. is just as good as, as anything else. You've got to be proactive. 
Okay. Uh, so Felix, you mentioned two things that we kind of want to kind of wrap up the conversation with. And the first one may be more geared towards Janai is you mentioned uh, Junior Olympics. So um, I know obviously we missed out on JOs last summer. Um, and then there was talk of moving JOs to December and then that got bumped back. And so then obviously I've, I've heard the latest rumblings that I guess there's going to be a JOs in California and then there's going to be a JOs in Texas. So you're a little more plugged in, obviously, at USA Water Polo than I am. So maybe you could touch on, uh, for our listeners, kind of touch on what the plans are for the summer um, in Texas and in California. Well, that's exactly what you said, that um, JOs this year is going to be split locations. Um, California will be in Orange County, and the other region will be Texas for the first time hosting the Junior Olympics ever in the history of, of this tournament. And I don't know the total number of teams this year, but I know in the past it's been the actually it's been the largest tournament water polo tournament in the world. So if you guys think about the number of teams, you know, even the Junior Olympics is actually significantly larger than World Championships or the, even the Olympics. Yeah, and and so going and I, I can go a little bit more in depth because I, I'm you know obviously talking to John and Abdu as much as I do with our. Um, partnership with the Coach Association. You know, I think USA Water Polo was put in a rock and a hard place with the state of California. Not even though everything looks like they're going to lift everything on June 15th, we didn't. USA Water Polo didn't know. So if no teams were allowed to come in and no teams, you know, were allowed to leave, what they had two choices: not have it or split it. So has uh, yes, it is kind of disappointing that it's not at one place, but at least there. I'm actually very kind of excited to see this, right? To see, obviously, the California teams um, battle each, each other, which is what they do all the time, which is awesome. But also to see, we always talk about those teams from Greenwich, those teams from Texas, from the Midwest, who really is the the, the, the next, you know, outside of California, who's the best um, team. And while I don't think it's something I want to see every year, but I think for this year, making the most of it. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure the question was, why, why can't they just do everything in Dallas, right? And I... That also goes to like there's only so many pools. You know, JOs is with all the age groups. Um, you're gonna you either eliminate you know half the field or you try to get as many teams to participate. So, I I personally as a college coach think that it would allow it's gonna spread the ability for a college coach to see more athletes because now it's two different weekends, so two different um, areas where you can kind of be more of a focus on, on on kids and not get fixated on like, well, I'm only going to watch the top teams. Well, now you can get to watch the top teams twice, you know, and the California ones and then everyone else. So I actually think it's going to, it's going to be an amazing experience. And for coach, for collegiate coaches who are going to be out there recruiting, while it does give us two different locations, it, it allows us to see a lot more players. So I'm excited to see how it, how it plays out. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited this summer as well. I think it'll be a very interesting, uh, interesting project. So very cool. All right. And then the other reason, the other uh, topic we want to talk about, which is uh, part of the reason why we were uh, grateful for both of you to come on, was the camp that's going to be coming up June 5th and 6th here in St. Louis that both of you will be attending. Janai, maybe if you want to take this one to start, what should athletes be looking for at this camp? And uh, how do they how do they sign up? Uh, sign up's easy. It's 5meter.com, so just the number 5, M-E-T-E-R.com. Um, direct link would actually be 5meter.com forward slash Missouri. But as years pass, our primary focus is on the athletes. You know, Coach McCardo, myself, um, Miguel Figueros, 
um, Coach Colleen, um, a variety of other coaches. You know, we all each have our own unique individual coaching styles, but obviously a lot of things overlap. And I think it's really important that athletes are exposed to different perspectives. Um, and I'm the first one to tell you that there's multiple ways to do the same thing. Um, I think what helped me evolve as a coach was having two younger sisters um, and realizing that they can't physically do what I do at six foot eight. So at a young age, when I started coaching, I've looked at different ways to connect with coaches in a variety of different situations. And so this camp is, like I said, designed for the athletes. We break up into small groups and really kind of, again, maybe going back to that word fluid, as much as we have a structured outline of what we'd like to accomplish within that structure, we're really trying to get feedback from athletes of what they want to you know, emphasize or spend more time on or questions. Um, as well as you know the college talk, we're trying to go through a you know a short little podcast here. But we have multiple college coaches that are going to be spending time after the camp on Saturday, breaking down the college recruiting process, um, very specific for the athletes that are, and parents that are there. So I think that's an added bonus, as well as um, nutrition recovery. You know, as, as hard as practices are, we spend a majority of our time of the day recovering um, our bodies so we can actually perform at an even higher level the following day or the following practice, um, whatever that might be. So we touched on a variety of things to, in a short amount of time with two days. We have um, USA Water Polo refs coming in the final session on Sunday. So hopefully we can combine a lot of the skills we worked on throughout the weekend and see the athletes perform, you know, in a tournament, small, mini tournament setting. And Felix, you're going to be coming in for the first time for this camp. What are what are you looking to to bring? Well, I'm I you know Philip you know who's you know as you mentioned as a freshman at Brown he's 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 talked about the how how many good players there are in, in Missouri and he's always telling me and he was excited when we were when we first started talking about this he's like oh you're going to enjoy it you're going to see some good players and. You're going to enjoy the people that are actually part of Missouri Water Polo. He had nothing but great things to say about. Um, he felt it's a it was a big part of him becoming the you know continue to become the man that he is. Um, and so I'm excited to see players. I'm excited to work with coaches. Um, I'm you know I like to teach right as much as I want to go find the next superstar that's going to help us win a championship at Brown. Right. I'm also look. I, I also want to teach. I want to, you know, I want to. I I love working with someone to teach them how to do an egg beater kick. Right. That's that's not beneath me. I, I think that's great. I I want to I want to see someone um, being able to work at two meters and learn some 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 specific offensive stuff. So I'm I want to teach. I want to work with great athletes. I'm, I've heard great things about Missouri. One of my um, uh, one of our alums at, at Brown, Kent Rapp, is a is a big time Missouri Missouri guy. He talks about a great water polo in St. Louis. So I'm excited. Um, to see him, he's going to come by the camp. Uh, so I'm just excited to 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 see a a great city and and work with great people, coaches, and athletes. Yeah, awesome. Well, Sean, I hope we don't let you down. <laughs> no, <laughs> Philip. I got to coach Philip at the camp several years ago, so it's nice to see his progression into becoming a collegiate athlete now. Yeah, it's 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 going to be fun. No, I don't. There's no way you guys can let me know. Trust me, I I truly believe that if, if people come in with the right mindset it's going to be a great time it's going to be fun all right awesome um well gentlemen we want to thank you for uh joining us i want everyone to know we, we do video chat here and janai currently has palm trees waving in the background 
Uh, and it's dark and muggy in St. Louis right now for Ray and I. Felix, I don't know what it's like on the East Coast, but uh, Janai, we're, we're a little jealous of the uh, of the atmosphere you're in. But um, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Ray, do you have anything you want to add? I do not. Do not. All right, gentlemen, we appreciate it. And uh, check out the camp, and we will, we will see you guys poolside.